0: welcome back to another edition of the conservative daily podcast my name is max mcguire happy tuesday to everyone just a few days left until the weekend psyched about that big show today the first hour we're going to be talking with our guest a new author named jeremy adams he authored a new book hollowed out for sale today just launched today talking about what's happening to america's children and we're going to talk specifically about how covid And the lockdowns have damaged kids and what it will take to repair it. That's going to be the first hour. Really interesting stuff. And then the second hour, Joe's going to call and he's on the road, but he's going to call and we're going to talk about the news from Arizona with Dominion and Maricopa County, both giving the Arizona State Senate the middle finger and refusing to comply with the subpoenas. We're going to talk about what's next in that fight. And yes, Joe will be calling in, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But without further ado, let's get into the topic of the first hour welcoming Mr. Jeremy Adams, author of h- Hollowed Out. Jeremy, how's it going?
1: Doing great. Thank you so much for having me on Publication Day. I'm very excited.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Just launched today. Um, h- how was it? I mean, I, I have a couple books rattling around in my head and by rattling around, I mean I have 300 pages already written. <laughs> I just don't know how to finish <laughs> them. How was the process? Is, was this your first book?
1: Well you know I, I've written actually some completely blase you know books mm-hmm. about you know teacher pedagogy uh, <laughs> and you know books for like workshops and and professional development. But this is my first quote unquote popular book uh, and yeah. to put not, not to put too fine a point on it, this is my magnum opus. Uh, I believe that everything I've done in 23 years of education has led me to this day to this book. Uh, I think writing it is, I, I think obviously, You know, educating kids is the most important thing I've I've ever done. Uh, But as far as broadly speaking, uh, there is no question that I think the most important crisis facing this country uh, is not an economic crisis. I don't think it's a military crisis. I think it's a crisis of the collective soul. Uh, I think there our young people are being hollowed out. I can't wait to talk to you about why that is. But I'll tell you right now: most of the time, when you have an ambitious book being written and somebody's saying, "Look, there's this," profoundly titanic big problem. We need to pay attention to it. It's being written by a politician or a pundit or a famous person or an Instagram influencer. Guess what, guys? I'm a high school teacher with a front row seat to American decline in a way that I don't think anybody else is. And I know a lot of my colleagues and I want to wave our hands and yell out, something is not right with our kids. So we have the link
0: in the description to buy the book. We have the Amazon link, just because that tends to be the easiest. But if people don't like Amazon, I did just find it is available at BarnesandNoble.com. Um, so if, if you search Jeremy Adams, hollowed out, you can find it at Barnes and Noble. You can find it at a couple of different places if you if you're boycotting Amazon. But the link for Amazon yeah. is in the description. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I, I got to talk to you a little bit before we went there. You're a teacher. You're teaching high school seniors and then freshmen, sophomore in college. Talk a little bit about your experience as a teacher before we get into the
1: book. Well, this is my 23rd year. uh, Starting in two weeks, I'll start my 23rd year as a high school teacher. I've been teaching college classes as well for 15 years, Uh, and I am an absolute, unapologetic, bleeding heart romantic of the classroom and also of the United States of America. Uh, So I I majored in politics in college, uh, and I really, really the 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 idea of america the idea that freedom is the soul's right to breathe and that education is the most certain door to achieving our dreams no matter what your background is that romantic idea about what a nation can be about the american experiment um i really fell in love with that in college and i i wanted to share that 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 hope that vision of, of what education can do for anybody uh, regardless of who your parents are, regardless of your skin color anything else. Um, and so I've, I've been a very passionate teacher of American civics for 23 years. But I'll, I'll tell you, Max, in the last five to 10 years, I have noticed some very profound and troubling changes in, in the behavior of our young people. First of all, I love my students. I think they're great. There's a lot of wonderful things about my young people. And I hope our, our listeners today understand this is not a, this is not a cranky curmudgeon book. Uh, you know, written, first of all, I'm way too young to be a cranker or a curmudgeon, okay? You got to be at least 60 years old. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, but I, will, I will tell you that uh, when I look at, my, at young people, something fundamentally changed in the last five to 10 years, and that is, by and large, that young people now live their lives almost completely untethered to adult values, adult expectations, and most of all, adult role models. And when you see that, there is this hollowing out of what a substantive life looks like, what wisdom looks like, what traditional values look like. And so, you know, you see, for instance, Max, and, I, and we were talking off air about, you know, our children and about the amount of time, uh, they spend on online. Um, I have two teenage daughters, uh, which has probably aged me more than the COVID has. Uh, and what's interesting is the amount of time my students spend on these devices, you know, before, before the lockdown. They were spending nine or 10 hours a day. Yeah. And what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? That means that they're not dating, they're not reading, they're not going to the movies, they're not going to football games. They, The young people I teach today have so little knowledge of traditional religion. It's not that they reject it, they don't know anything about it. It's not even a yeah. possibility. And And so we can go on and on about this, but they're lonely, their mental health is bad, they are the least patriotic generation in American history by far. The desire for marriage and family isn't free far. Paul, one in five millennials say they don't have a good friend. Uh, It goes on and on.
0: Well, you talk about uh, screen time. I mean, also with with the internet, right? I mean, the internet is the greatest gift we could have for education. I mean, uh, I've mentioned this a couple of times. During the lockdown, I just wanted to do something, make a side gig. I created a fish store in my garage. And uh, I never would have been able to do that. 20 years ago, I would have had to go down to the library, learn about saltwater fish. Every bit of information is at my fingertips. It's the same with kids today. Every bit of the collective knowledge of the human race, with the exception of a few things that are classified, is available to every individual within seconds. So nothing is unknowable. Nothing is unlearnable. And it it was supposed to be the great promise of of the upcoming generation that kids coming up now would be smarter because they wouldn't be bound by textbooks. They wouldn't be bound by learning what the textbook authors want them to learn. They'd be able to expand their horizons. What we've seen is some kids have, have done that. That's why we continue to see like 12-year-olds graduating from Harvard, right? That wouldn't have been possible 30, 40 years ago. It just wouldn't have been. So we still have, we obviously, there are some kids taking advantage of it. But I think the problem is that kids are using technology for the wrong reasons. They're, they're catching up on pop culture, I mean, there's no pop culture factory at the end of college where they're going to be able to earn a living based on their knowledge of the Kardashians. There, there just isn't. Right. <clears throat> so I, I, I like to get on at, at technology screen time. Yeah, it, it is definitely it is a brain suck. But specifically, what I see is that it's how it's being used. Right. It's how it's being used, because if kids were on their screens learning advanced chemistry, right, that'd be one thing
1: but they're not they're largely not so um go ahead. that's that's exactly no that's exactly right uh and and your observation is is right on on a few different levels first of all isn't it always the case that we think a certain technology is going to be used for you know behavior a and it goes to some sinister yeah. behavior b uh and it's interesting because i remember when ipads came out you know seven or eight years ago and everybody thought well there's going to be this huge uh, kind of socioeconomic gap because you know wealthy parents are going to have the means to give these devices, and and, and the, the parents who don't have that uh, won't be able to do it. And I think that's because we were making the assumption, Max, that you were making that we're going to use this technology in a kind of Jeffersonian optimistic yeah. way that we're going to, you know, oh my God, I can learn how to read ancient Greek so I can read yeah. Homer at night on my yeah, own, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, or I, I can learn Latin and read Tacitus or whatever. And, and I hate to tell you, but that's absolutely not not happening. It's it's not happening, but I would say it's even more sinister and negative than what you said. And, and, and hollowed out what I, I want people to understand. And this is what I think teachers understand a little earlier than, you know, maybe kind of just conventional everyday, hardworking, good natured Americans is this is the first generation I would argue maybe in the history of our species who has actually achieved the ability to find a way to have a space, to have a kind of digital ecosystem where adult eyes and adult parenting and adult expectations cannot intrude. So, I mean, every generation in history would love to have a a room in their house where mom and dad can never come so they can look at whatever they want, talk however they want, do whatever they want. And I would tell you that this is the first generation that has actually done it. I mean, I have this, I was talking about my teenage daughters my middle child had this great quote and i think i put it in the book where i'm talking about how the adults have a tough time keeping up in the technology so that we can you know actually supervise and observe what you're doing and my middle child said it best she says you're going to lose every time yeah we start out with this you know this is our baseline and so you know i think that because for some reason Uh, I think that for some reason, uh, I follow my daughter's Twitter account or uh, Instagram account that somehow I'm being a good parent. My students will tell me, Mr. Adams, we have four or five accounts. We have a spam account.
0: We have a a private Discord that you don't even know the password to, right? Uh, Exactly.
1: Exactly. We we can hide things. And so we are so far behind. And so these young people are absorbing values from somewhere, Max, right? I mean, young people are going to get their values from somewhere. and Two things I want to say here, and then I'll shut up for a while. The first thing is there's this great quote in the book from a dean uh, in Arkansas. And he I don't remember if it was junior high or high school dean. And he constantly is confiscating phones. And he has this quote where he says, the amount of filth, I mean like pornography, violence, vulgarity, the overwhelming amount of it that these young people are consuming at a young age would shock you, absolutely shock you. Uh, And and the second thing I would say is that when you look at this space where young people are learning how to talk, learning how to engage, it's all fake. I mean, a lot of young people don't know how to look people in the eyes anymore. And the space that they're in, Max, it is not speak well of, of, of traditional values. It does not speak well of America. Everything they see on social media, I swear, is about how awful the country is. And, and, yeah. and, and traditional values are nowhere to be seen in this space, and that's that's where they're being socialized. So let, let's talk about the
0: the lack of patriotism, because that's something that tends to ebb and flow, right? One generation's hippies, the hippies are they are followed yeah. by by the, the Reagan era, right, where you're go America go in, in the Cold War. Um, so it kind of goes up and down, up and down. But here, the, it, it seems a little different. It seems like we've been told that it, it's it's globalism, that globalism is what's doing this, that it, it's looking beyond borders and, and we're all part of one great human family. I don't buy that at all. I think it's apathy. I, I think that they just genuinely don't care. I, I don't think that if a refugee showed up on their doorstep, they'd open the door and let them in. Right, so I, I don't believe yeah. the, the globalist argument. They still lock their doors at the end of the night. To me, it seems like apathy, and it seems like, to your credit, what you're saying, that there's no parental figure there to teach them, just like there's no CCD teacher to teach them Catholic. I'm a Catholic, so I went to CCD. But there's no like religion school to teach them religion or or faith. Um, They're getting it from the web, and as you mentioned, the web is a dark place. The majority of the internet is pornography. (laughs) That's just a fact Yeah. Um, by by, by terabyte.
1: Well, what, you're, what you're saying is, is, is fascinating because, and let me kind of piggyback on that a little bit. You know, one of the things I noticed is when I first started teaching, I think I started my, my first year teaching AP government was 2003. Uh, and the next year we had this big election party when it was, you know, Kerry and Bush. And uh, I remember the first, I don't know, 10 years of my career, my 17-year-olds my and my, my, my college students, we would talk about issues and they would talk about what their mom said or what their dad said, yeah. or what their older brother said about politics, which is natural, by the way. Uh, you, know, you, you, you listen to what your parents say and, and you know, naturally we kind of go that direction. And one of the things, and, and this is what I would say to all the people out there that are saying that this is just a grumpy book against the young people, which it's not, is what's different though, in the last five or 10 years, my, my students, even the ones that come from what you would call traditional solid privileged homes, nobody talks about mom and dad nobody right. talks about their older sibling who they are listening to is profoundly different now i don't want to get too personal here uh, max in front of thousands of people okay. but i'll tell you right now i my, my oldest daughter and i we have had to stop talking about politics because the i'm looking in the other room right now because i don't want to be too loud the things <laughs> that she says about america or about economics or about social issues yeah. it drives me up the wall and i bet you I'm probably not as conservative as most of your audience. I consider myself to be conservative. They're probably not as conservative. And it just, the things that she said. And so we've just had to stop talking about it because the things that she's hearing from out there. And so what I would say to you is one, the kids don't know much, right? They're not reading, they're not watching the news. You're more likely to read a novel nowadays at 13 years old than 17 years old because you now spend all your time on social media. And so when you don't know much about the country's history and then what you do know is filled in with all this negativity, no wonder one out of five yeah. millennials say they see the flag as a sign of hate. No wonder eighteen to twenty nine year olds have a more positive view of socialism than capitalism. Um, you know, and so when there's a void, when nobody else is speaking, that's what they hear.
0: yeah, it's it, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think we're gonna see a countercultural movement. I mean, I, obviously, you had the hippies kind of rising up against the conservatism of the white picket fence husband, wife, right? So the hippies were in, in large ways a uh, reaction to that. I mean, I know friends from high school who in high school were total free spirits, right? Um, yeah. After high school, yeah. they became like devout uh, Orthodox Jews. So, I mean, obviously that's their belief system, but it's interesting how people who are countercultural. I mean, today there is no better way to be countercultural than to be a conservative, to, to go yeah. against the grain, <laughs> to, to swim against yeah. the river, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think we're going to see that. But I think a lot of the push to stamp out, um, uh, to impose political correctness is to try and root that out early on. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, and the thing, you know, in, in the book, you know, the book is organized by, you know, hollowed out selves, hollowed out homes, hollowed out schools. And the last chapter is called hollowed out democracy. And what bothers me so much about the way that young people look at their country, and again, it is this negative cauldron and stew of of, of just relentless biting, jaded, cynical, pessimistic stuff. Um, you know, I'll never forget a few years ago. You know, I mentioned uh, Grant as somebody who I thought was a kind of an underappreciated president, right? An American. I'll never forget a kid said, "Oh, you mean the alcoholic?" You see, so many of these young people, all they know about somebody, like you know, you have these. I don't know about you, but I—I i, I I'll look. I'm looking right here on my shelves. I like these kinds of ridiculous 800-page Ron Chernow yeah, yeah. bi- biographies, right? And when you read those biographies, it's weird how you—you like—you realize these people are human, but then you also realize mm-hmm. they're extraordinary humans. So you kind of going up. And what what social media has done is it allowed them to have a very easy takedown of everybody who built this country yeah. and have nothing but you know a complete cynical snide disdain for them. And what bothers me about that, Max, is, and I, I don't want to get emotional here, but America is more than a place. It's more than a document. It's an idea. It's what Lincoln called a proposition. And what worries me so much about, you know, stuff like the critical race theory, which it says it, the American idea is a lie, um, that the, the, that natural law is a lie, that the Gettysburg Address is a lie, the 14th Amendment is a lie, Martin Luther King's dream is a lie, is if, if you have a whole generation, that doesn't believe in the American proposition, that doesn't believe in what Jefferson called Americanism, then what are we? You know, when you say that we are we yeah. the people, where where's the the? Where's the unum in e pluribus unum if you have a whole generation that fundamentally thinks it's cool to hate your country and to feel no bond to your fellow citizen? I, again, the, yeah. this is an experiment. We are more delicate and, and, and hollowed out. We I talk about this. If, if you understand how delicate the fiber of a democratic society is, then this generation will scare the hell out of you.
0: Yeah, it will. Um, so we talk about on the show a lot, censorship. The, the, we're very against censorship. We, we like the free flow of ideas. One thing that I think is absolutely true is the kids aren't able to learn these anti-American values or, or anti-American sentiments, or, or as, as you mentioned, calling oh, oh, Grant—he's the alcoholic. Which I think, in fairness, anyone before who served as president before probably 1900 was an alcoholic. <laughs> lots of alcohol, <laughs> yeah. lots of alcohol yeah. in, in the White yeah. House. Um, the only way that takes root is by that being given a voice. And I think it's really interesting that the crowd that's now going after disinformation. Right, so we must stamp out disinformation, disinformation, disinformation. They're the ones who have gained prominence by peddling. I don't want to call it disinformation because if he was an alcoholic, it's true. But when it's not presented in the proper context, it's a problem. Like on the show, we always say we want to study America warts and all. We want to study yeah. the, the Confederacy yeah. because they, they were very flawed people. I'm no Confederate, right? I'm, a, I'm no good old boy. I was born and raised in New Jersey. Um, but yeah. you want to study <laughs> that understand that there are complex impulses there. There are complexities that drove these men. It wasn't just slavery, though. That was a huge part of it. And you want to learn so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. Whereas in current day, when you see, I'm just going to call them the left, but it's not just the left. There are definitely um, more moderates and conservatives who engage in the same kind of practice. They want to characterize something through a very tiny little people. They don't want to get the whole wide screen view of it. They want to say, as you said, oh, Grant, He's the alcoholic. Oh, Thomas Jefferson, he had, he raped a slave and and fathered a child, right? That's what they want to identify. And the only reason that, I mean, the the people peddling this whole disinformation is is terrible, have gained prominence by peddling this narrow view of America. So it's very ironic. And I don't know how you fix that. I mean, in my mind, the way you fix that is by better education, though that might be too late for the kids who have already now graduated high school and college. Because you don't censor it. like the, the solution is never censorship. It has to be providing better education. The problem is if you want to provide that better education today, those people are censoring us. <laughs> so it, it how do you fix that problem? Because obviously we all know the problem exists. Beyond well, just the, the, the parents problem. reading to their kids, how do you fix it?
1: Well, the, the first thing is I do think that we've had about 20 years of social studies education in this country, which instead of focusing on really deep dives into different time periods and to different people, really has been about, you know, and I understand why we did this, but about cultivating critical thinking, you know, looking at documents, comparing and contrasting, uh, being able to write uh, where we can compare, you know, different, you know, maps and different documents and this and that. And, and I understand deep that. Deep. I see the va- yeah, the DVDs exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, so I, I, uh, I, I, see the value in that, and I don't think there's any plot. But as you said, the problem is to understand people in their time period as they understood themselves requires a colossal amount of work, and it is here that we have stumbled on as much affection as I have for my students, and I have a, and I think there's a lot of things that my students get right better than we do, in my opinion. To be perfectly honest, I think they. They have no, they are very ambitious. They have no problem taking on big, big ambitions. Uh, they are, they want to solve worldwide problems. They don't know it, but their worldview is completely American and classically liberal. They just don't know that it is. So there's a lot that I love about them. But here is the one thing that drives me the most mad about young Americans uh, that, that I see, and that is that they have a real incapacity to understand that we are all human beings existing in the stream of history, right? We absorb the values of our time through forces that we don't control. You can't control who your parents are or where you were born or what your genetics are or who your friends are or what your experiences are. We absorb this worldview uh, and we are largely a product of it. As much as we fancy ourselves to be these, you know, kind of individuals with agency and I'm a free thinker, we really do reflect our time within, you know, a certain spectrum and, once you understand that, you're empowered and impassioned to look back on history and say, "Okay, let me understand these people as they understood themselves." And then when you do that, you you, you realize how extraordinary they were. I mean, Thomas Jefferson Mark, Max wrote the Declaration of Independence at 33. You know, George yeah. Washington was leading the Continental Army at 43. Hamilton and Madison were in their 20s at the Constitutional Convention. I mean. When you think about those things, the, the enormity of the achievements of, of that yeah. generation, and yet a lot of young people will just look back and say, well, he did this, he did this, he did this. It's no good. We need to start over. And, and, and that this is a country that requires that we renew affection every generation. And, and that's why I think it's a hollowing out effect of America.
0: I mean, you mentioned George Washington. He was a surveyor a land surveyor when he was a teenager. (laughs) I mean, just think about that. Just think about that. Surveying land for topography and for property lines. I couldn't even do that now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he, I mean, the the stories of Washington go on and on and on. I mean, talk about, you know, if if you go read, you know, his, his excellency by, by Ella, Joseph Ellis, um, there's so many extraordinary stories about Washington. You know, I, I'm I'm a proud graduate of Washington and Lee university, uh, in Virginia. And, uh, you know, we've, you know, we had a whole two years here where I thought they were going to change the name of my university um, because of Robert yeah. E. Lee. And there was even some talk uh-huh. of changing it from Washington. Uh-huh. Washington except, it's just going to be and. W- that's it. Well, it's going to be well, and university. Uh, that's it. <laughs> With lines know, between yeah, the exactly. two names. <laughs> well, I mean, th- that's the thing is that, you know, uh, you know, King George the Third, you know, said that George Washington was the greatest man in all the world. Jefferson yeah. said that Men like Washington come around every thousand years. And yet it's very weird to me that 220 something years later, there are people who literally want to erase him. And what I want to say to my students is 200 years from now, you're going to look really bad to a lot of people too. And you might not even know why. So have some humility, kids. Could you imagine
0: if George Washington had an iPad? Can you imagine if Benjamin Franklin had an iPad? These men were able to conquer entire industries i mean when you start looking at other founding fathers like like samuel adams right the, yep. these guys were blacksmiths they were silversmiths they had printing presses and they were able to do this with just candlelight and books can you imagine if they would have had an ipad they would have had the internet they would have been able to talk to people i mean it, it's stunning and, and it really is it, it, it's sad because
1: i don't think we have a george washington today i don't know oh, maybe absolutely. we do no, but it's it's absolutely right. I mean, it's it's interesting that, you know, these men became masters of civilization on their own. You know, they were autodidacts. Yeah. Uh, look at the story of Lincoln, uh, who, you know, taught himself everything. He taught himself geometry so that he could get some of those sur- surveying jobs. Um, Jefferson used to read 10 to 12 hours a day when he was at William and Mary. And there's this great story where his roommates would get so mad at him because he wouldn't stop studying that they went, came in one day and just took his papers and threw them away. I mean, he yeah. he mastered he mastered Spanish so that he could read Don Quixote in the original tongue. He mastered yeah. Greek so that he could read Homer. Uh, and yet, if you ask Americans today about Thomas Jefferson, that's not what you're hearing.
0: Yeah, you're not. So uh, we're we're here talking with Jeremy Adams, author of the new book out today. Make sure you check it out. Hollowed out. Available on Amazon, or if you are boycotting Amazon, it is available on Barnes and Noble and other booksellers. Just search it. Hollowed Out by Jeremy Adams. I, I want to pick your brain on something because, um, because this is this is a topic that I have thought long and hard about. Um, we, we were chatting that we both are political scientists by by training. Um, it's the idea of us them, the us them dichotomy like you mentioned that that peop, the kids you're seeing now they have this world view right they they they're they seem to be globalists but they lack the most basic empathy you would expect from a globalist the us them dichotomy to everyone um just tuning in now it's basically it's a very fundamental concept when there is an us there is also a them we see it throughout our society it's why Elementary schools have pep rallies now, right? Um, It's a healthy part. It can be a healthy part of society. You can't have a community if everyone's in the community. You can't have a family if everyone is a family member. There has to be a line at which you have a community and everyone outside that line is not in the community. The danger becomes when the us-them dichotomy, the us versus them, is combined with dehumanization, depersonalization. I mean, that's how you get from pep rally. To hutus versus tutsis in rwanda right that's how you get from oh healthy competition to you are evil you are you deserve to be exterminated in concentration camps what i'm particularly perturbed at is today's kids are not growing up with the empathy you would expect of a globalist right of oh we need we need to bring all the refugees in but then they see someone getting beaten at an anti protest or whatever and, and they laugh as so, served him right he's a conservative that is very concerning to me and it's something that I, i've noticed and i'm sure i'm sure you can speak on it too i'm no, i've noticed it's gotten worse during the pandemic because when you lose that interpersonal connection and you're on a screen and you're just talking to someone else and you don't recognize their basic humanity right they're just pixels on a screen they're just a screen name it's a dangerous, it's, it's a dangerous step to, to, to view the other side as subhuman, less than human, or not deserving of basic respect or dignity. What have you noticed well, in that regard over the past year?
1: You know, I, I agree with your assessment of a lack of empathy. I think I would take it a slightly different direction, though. I, I think yours is kind of the embryo of what you're talking about It's kind of this globalist perspective, which demands a sense of empathy. That we're, you know, we're all human beings, and therefore it requires a certain base level of treatment. What yeah. I would argue, and, and this is kind of, the, which I don't, I don't disagree with, but, but in, in, in hollowed out, though, the, the reason why I argue that we have this poisonous political climate today, the reason why our democracy is being hollowed out, Is because if you look at the things that tend to give people a sense of meaning and purpose, and I'm uh, I'm going to get deep here. I hope that's okay, Max. But Mm -hmm. when when we talk about when we talk about the human condition, when you talk about things like you know the Greeks used to talk about human flourishing, when they used to talk about the good life, Jefferson talks about Mm -hmm. uh, the pursuit of happiness. C.S. Lewis talks about joy. When we talk about the good things in life, the good things in life happen when individuals use their freedom to connect to something that they love more than they love themselves. I love mm-hmm. this woman, I will marry her. I love this family, so I have these children. I love this country, so I will serve this country. I believe in this school, mm-hmm. so I will work extra t- hours to, to teach my students. I believe in this God. I believe in the Lord from my head to my toes, so much so that I realize that my desires are not as important as, as what he knows is right for me. Right. So, the, this, these mighty connections that we forge in our lives that are hard, by the way. I mean, Max, you look like a young man to me. You, know, you look much younger than me. I'll tell you right now, wait till you get into your 40s. Family is hard. Marriage is hard. Everything gets harder. And yet I would tell you the things that essentially stress me out are the things that also make my life worth living. And what's happened to a whole generation of young people is they are hollowed out because they misunderstand freedom to mean I am free to connect to nothing. I am free to indulge myself. This is why they are lonely. This is why they don't go out. This is why they don't want to have families and marriage. It's why they're not patriotic. Why they don't know anything about religion is because it demands something of them. And so what I would say is, when you have the vacuum in their souls of family, faith, friendship, country, you name it, the only thing left is politics. And when politics Mm -hmm. becomes, I mean, this is, and I think this is a conservative position, by the way, a real conservative would say politics should be about the fourth or fifth most important part of your life maybe that's even too high that it's the other things using your freedom to fill your life with important things yeah. politics is just a way of governing ourselves and having conversations and so what happens max all of these young people now say well i'm a proud bernie bro or i'm a proud yeah. maggot yeah. or i'm proud whatever so this this gigantic vacuum is being filled with politics. And so now, Max, if you disagree with a student, it's not that I disagree about having a, a you know a corporate tax rate at 25%. No, 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 no. Now it's, you are against me. You don't believe in me. Yeah. You, you want to harm me. And it, it's hollowing out country because they're already hollowed out of the important things that make life worth living. Does that make any sense at all?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, if something's hollowed out, it doesn't stay hollow forever. Eventually, something fills the vacuum. And you hope that what filled would fill the vacuum would be something of substance. Um, I yes. think that what we see today, what fills the vacuum is largely a socialist um worldview. But at the same time, uh, if you look at the other side of the political spectrum, there are a lot of people who are lonely who 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 hate who who despise the fact that they can't get a date and, and mm-hmm. that vacuum ends up being filled with misogynistic thoughts, right? I mean, yeah, the, yeah. Th- there's I mean, the other side of it a- too. So yeah.
1: No, yeah yeah this is this is, i've seen it in both sides and no, this is not just a, a right left um if you're hollowed out you are susceptible to to being filled in with all kinds i mean yeah. that's why i've always told you know older people are like what do your kids like socialism i'm like it's not they're not reading karl marx man. okay they're not yeah, reading yeah. they're not reading das capital at night mm. it's a kind of utopianism that they believe in a kind of well i'm going to use my life to achieve this kind of Paradise on Earth. It's 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 not. It's really not political. I think old yeah. people, older people kind of get too upset about that. Um, but 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 it is this. It is evidence of, of a hollowing out. And and you know what happens, Max, is when you only spend time around other people who think like you, you become more extreme, right? So you know yeah. all these things that I used to think were okay. Well, there's a consensus. You know, we can fight about abortion. You get to these extremes where one extreme would say, you know, until the baby's coming out, you know, you, you have a right. And yeah. the other side that would say never, and you have to watch all these videos and, and, you know, all of this, this government interference. And so that's what happens is we become more extremes. And guess what happens? Then we elect people who reflect that extremism and then they get into Congress and can't agree. Shocker.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, again, we're here with Jeremy Adams, author of the new book, Hollowed Out. Got to take a minute to mention the sponsor of this episode, Air Med Care Network. Air Med Care Network, the premier insurance plan to cover you, your entire household, should any of you ever suffer a medical emergency and need to be airlifted to a hospital. We often don't think about that, um, but you'd be surprised at just how many people, not even people who are out hiking or fishing or whatnot, just in suburbia or in a, an urban environment, how many people need to be airlifted just because of traffic. Or if you get in a traffic accident and there's a big pileup, well, people tend to need to be airlifted in that situation. And it can cost a lot of money, upwards of 50 grand, we've heard from some people. With Care Network, you don't have to worry about that. $85 gets coverage for your entire household for one year. It works out to be less if you're a senior citizen, and it's less per year if you buy three or five years at a time. So you're going to want to go to the link in our description, AirMedCareNetwork.com forward slash daily. And when you use promo code daily, you'll get up to $50 back in the form of an e-gift card. So uh, you're throwing out a lot of things to try and, and soak in. Um, I I understand what what you're talking about. I my big concern is and, and yeah I I I understand my my empathy bit might not be completely fleshed out, but I really do see it. I really do see a lack of person personhood, like not r- recognizing the basic humanity of who people are talking to. And I I blame a lot of that on the screen time, right? A a lot. I mean, when I was growing up, I I was in kindergarten when Windows 95 came out. So I'm like the first part of the millennial generation that really their entire childhood, we've had turnkey like desktop computers that the average person can use. Obviously they had computers before then, but like windows 95 was like the the big one that came out. Anyone could set it up and you could just use it. Right. I didn't see the cyber bullying then. I mean, there was some of it. There was some of it. We had like AOL instant messenger. There was some of it, but we still settled things on the schoolyard, right? If people were talking yeah. smack, you, you settle in the football game or if people were bullying, you actually punch them in the face. You can't do that anymore. And what's happened is the bullying, the meanness has gone online. So you talk about the hollowness of what happens when parents aren't watching. There's a lot of really mean stuff. And this is stuff that usually would happen in schools, and teachers would be able to say, hey, break it up, stop fighting. Now it's online, behind a password. No one can even uh, can see what's going on. And I-, I blame that for hollowing out a lot of people, not just the victims, but also the victimizers, because... <laughs> I mean, we've seen through history. Look at look at Columbine. What happens when kids just get picked on over and over and over again? And we've also seen from history what happens when people become so hollowed out because they don't see the other side as as being a person. That terrifies me, and I know it can't have gotten better with COVID. With everyone being on Zoom, it can't have gotten right. better.
1: Right. No. And, and no. And your your point is a good one. And what I what I would say to that is. And again, I want to make sure that everybody who's listening to this understands this is not a book that, that's slamming the young people. Young people have no control yeah. over the world that, that that they're in. But but I, I I want the adults who are listening out there to imagine when we grew up and the, you had a bad day at school. Maybe you're, maybe there was a bully or maybe you, you were fighting with somebody. Your teacher was mean to you. You know, you went home right and you didn't have to deal with it for another sixteen hours. You know. I mean, when you're young, I think sometimes we forget how hard it is to be a young person. And very, it, it reminds me of, of, a, of a round of boxing where you go into the, 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 the ring and you, you get the crap beat out of you. But you know what? A lot of young people get to go back to a corner and mom and dad are there. And you have a nice dinner and they tell you how much they love you. And you know that it's going to be OK. And they'll give you some advice. And you go back to school the next day. Even if it's tough, you know you got a nice corner. So many of our young people today, Max, and this is something that I do think is a privileged perspective teaching uh, at an urban high school. A lot of our young people, imagine going to the boxing ring every day and you go back to the corner and there is no water. There is no encouragement. The, The parents are not there. There's a single parent who's busting their butt working two or three jobs to just support. Or, which is also happening, you'll have two middle class parents. But guess what? We're distracted we're on our devices. We're more interested in taking a picture of dinner and posting on Instagram than actually talking to our kids during dinner. And so we have a world that the kids, there is no refuge from, you're talking about the lack of empathy. Absolutely. And it plays out 24 hours a day in these kids' lives. There's no chance to get away, no chance to go into the corner and catch your breath. You know, And and I'm guilty of this. I will send out reminders at seven o'clock at night, To my students hey don't forget your assignments are due tomorrow i'm not i'm trying to do it to help them but the fact that you that it's always there that's awful for your mental health and by the way if if anybody i mean and i know what people are going to say about the book in addition to you know you're just a fuddy duddy, and you're picking on the kids is you know they're they're essentially going to say you know the problem with this book is uh you know you're imposing you know patriotism and faith and conservative values that's that's not my my, my biggest problem my, my biggest problem is the students aren't even aware of the options in front of them right they don't even know they don't even know what the teachings of Christianity are or Islam or Buddhism they don't know what the noble truths are uh, and, and that to me having a lack of options having a lack of information having a lack of loving support in your corner every day no wonder you're hollowed out no wonder yeah. that lack of empathy is really affecting your soul
0: and I'll add on to that what, what you mentioned about school comes home with you it's also now in many cases broadcast for the entire world to see so when something embarrassing happens to a kid in school it doesn't just follow them home with all the the other kids nipping at them it also gets put on snapchat and TikTok and youtube so the entire world just saw you embarrass yourself so there's not even the concept of oh you know what this is just middle school next year high school will be better because it's just gone out to a global audience so there's no even escape there it's, I'd be terrified to grow up in this
1: age. And, and, you know, I am so thankful I didn't, uh, by the way, Max. And, but but th- yeah. then it gets even weirder. Um, and let me just kind of throw this out. There's kind of a weird idea. But what's, what, what I've noticed in young people is you have these moments in life that are important, that are decisive on their own, you know? Graduating from high school or college, getting engaged, having a child, Getting married, um, you know, having your book published that you've been dreaming about for twenty years, you know, uh, like today. But there's this idea with a lot of young people that a moment is only wonderful proportional to how much other people are observing it and liking it. Which is yeah. really, it's it's kind of a, if you think about it, kind of you know, kind of uh, kind of in a, in, a, in a metaphysical way, it's like you yourself are not making. It's not the moment is not meaningful on its own. It takes somebody yeah. else. From outside it's, like, it's like the people. To make it it's like the people.
0: It's like the people who have front row seats at the concert and they're watching it through their phone as they're live streaming it or as they're videoing. <laughs> exactly. It. Like you, you just paid exactly for front right. row seats and you're videoing it and you're watching it through this little screen because you want someone else to see it later.
1: Exactly. It's a and, and great point. But not only that, though, but like, but the moment where you get engaged on a mountaintop somewhere, that is your moment with your fiance. Yeah. Why are you sharing it? And why is that moment going to be any less valuable because you didn't get as many likes on it that you that you think you would? And yet, I would tell you that one of the reasons—I mean, if, if if you want the best evidence that the world we are giving to our young people is not consistent or concomitant with finding meaning and purpose, look at their mental health. It is shocking how yeah. unhappy they are. Suicide has gone up over fifty percent. From 2012 to 2017. Self-harm is skyrocketing over 60%. The word that teachers, if abuse. there are new teachers out there, ab- oh, yeah, abuse. Um, and, and the word that I hear all the time: anxiety. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. Young people are not happy. They are so lonely, they're so isolated. Uh, and again, I, like I said, if 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 I could i'm really happy to be a normal person but if there was one situation in my life where i wish i was famous i wish i had a big megaphone it was for this book because i think a lot of people don't know what's going on
0: yeah no i mean you talk about anxiety anxiety is is at its core it's the lack of an understanding of what's going to happen so obviously there are hormonal imbalances that can lead someone to have anxiety disorder but when it, when kids just don't grow up, grow up, and, they, and there's no one telling them, oh, it's going to be okay. And every whenever they consume the meat from the media, it's like, oh, this virus is going to kill you. Oh, the, the white supremacists are are marching when they're not. Uh, yeah. Like it, it's very easy to get kind of boxed into this belief that the world is more chaotic than it actually is. Like gen- relatively, the world is more peaceful than at yes. any time <laughs> since I've been born. Right now, at this yeah. moment, and that's not to that's not to belittle any of the conflicts or or refugee crises going on around the world, but there is no major like huge battle going yeah, on. There's no World War One, World War Two. So people get kids are getting fed this notion that everything's bad, when in reality, I, sure things could be better, but things
1: haven't been much better. <laughs> no, no, I I actually I actually talk about this in the book. There's this. Absolutely weird duality with young Americans who think that their country is, is so awful. Um, whereas I, I think you can make a very easy case that if pretend that you you know you don't know if you're gonna be rich or poor, black or white, gay or straight, first generation American, or maybe you have somebody related to the Mayflower. Let's just say you have no idea where you're gonna be born in society. I think there is no question that you would choose to be born in a Western liberal society Here. today today yeah. I mean that's the kind of Stephen Pinker argument from Harvard which is you are less likely to die in conflict you are freer wealthier healthier more likely to live a life of your choosing travel the world acquire any information than any human being in the history of our species and by the way this extraordinary life was given to you by people who came before you who you have a lot of disdain yeah. for by the way yeah. and so you know I, I think that what you're what you're saying is 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 right on is that I think that ingratitude is a real spiritual sickness that, you know, I wrote a column two months ago called The Death of Gratitude in the American Classroom. And it resonated with a lot of people because I think a lot of young Americans have no awareness of how great they have it. And like you said, the problem is that every problem in the world you can now look at on your phone. It used to be that, you know, before you had these things, your immediate orbit was your reality um, but, but I think it really does, you know, breed this negativity, you know, uh, George will used to say, you know, journalists are negative because it's not our job to report on the planes that land fair enough, but that doesn't mean they, they, they have, it doesn't mean that young people aren't obscuring the fundamental blessings of their life through the, the negativity of their screens.
0: Yeah, no, the, the, the biggest lie going around right now is that racism is somehow worse today than it was in the 1950s and 60s. I mean, it's so crazy. And that's not to, again, take away from anyone who has experienced racism in their life, but it's just is factually inaccurate to say that the Klan is as active now as it was in the 1960s, or that white supremacists are as powerful now as they were in the 50s and 40s and 60s. I mean, Back then, white supremacists, KKK members were literally the mayor of the town. They were the police chief, right? They were they were in charge of everything in certain areas of the country, and today, I mean, you look at what happened in in Charlottesville, Virginia, as as terrible as the things they were saying, they needed to come from all around the country to show up at Charlottesville. Right? You go back fifty yeah. years, you could have drawn from just Charlottesville
1: and had just as big of a crowd. Yeah, that's that is that is a great point, and that's, that's something I want to you know something I, I I wish young people understood more, which is that. You know, it's interesting um, when you look at the, the the huge kind of Grand Canyon divide between the way that older Americans look at America and American history, and the way that current Americans, look or younger Americans, look at it, it. It's interesting because I think young people, uh, and I think they've learned this through things like the 1619 Project and, and other places, and especially in social media. You know, they look at these awful moments in American history, and there are a lot of them. I mean, I'm big. I'm a big believer. We should know all of them. We should know all of our warts. We should know a about all of it. Let's not whitewash anything. Let's be honest about our history. But older Americans will look at these these awful times of injustice and slavery and oppression and they will say, "I'm proud to be an American because look at how far we have come." Right? Look at the progress we have made at living up to that national idea. 94% of the silent generation are proud of America. And yet one out of five millennials think the American flag is a, is a symbol of hate because I think some – and I, yeah. I have this fight with my own children. They will look at an awful moment in American history, and again there are a lot of them, and say, well, that's that's America. That's the That's the real America I'm not learning about. Whereas I would tell you the real America are not the idiots in Charlottesville. It's the people marching against them. Right? It's the people saying those are not our ideals. That is not who we are. Uh, and when you look at the ratio of people, you're right. Look at the ratio of people marching for the hateful ideology over here versus people marching for classical liberal ideas. It's like 99.99% on, 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 yeah. on the just side. That's a good thing about our country. Yeah. That makes me a proud yeah. American. So you know, I would tell you America, it's not, it's not slavery. It's the 13th Amendment. America is not segregation. It's the 1964 Civil Rights Act, the 24th Amendment, and the Voting Rights Act. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's, like it, it's these yeah. things happen, but but the real America is what we do with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I I, I don't know how to fix it. I'd love to get your your take on how you, if we fix. It. I know we talked a little bit about filling the void. Um, I just want just as an anecdote, I was talking with a high schooler a um, couple weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, and we we're just talking about America. He is way left. His way left and he's like America's bad America's bad I'm like well tell me how is America bad and I kid you not. he says the Gulf of Tonkin and I'm like w- w- what Gulf of Tonkin anyone who isn't well read in their history it's basically what started the Vietnam War and the North Vietnamese claim that that we did it on purpose we claim that we were a- attacked um in the Gulf of Tonkin that's what precipitated the, the Vietnamese the vietnam war and this high score was like yeah um, American imperialism with the Gulf of Tonkin started this whole war against um, socialism. And it was, it was one of the great human rights violations of, of world history. I'm just like, who told you this? Who, who, who told uh, you that the big takeaway uh, from Vietnam was Gulf of Tonkin? Like, who told you that?
1: And I, well, I don't and how know how t- you get past that. Well, and I would tell you that I, I think it's absolutely fair game to talk about should we have gone to Vietnam. I mean, I think it's fair game. But that shouldn't be—that
0: shouldn't be the first high yeah. mouth about well, why America's well, bad. <laughs> Someone told <right>. him that <laughs> I,
1: I, exactly, and and that's why, like you know, I always want to ask my students. And I again, I'm I'm pretty liberal when it comes to free speech, uh, like you are. I mean, classically liberal. When I was growing up, it was liberals who really wanted robust free speech. It was conservatives. Who were more like well, there sometimes can be moral harms to a community, yeah. or, or we need, to, you know, and so it's kind of swapped a yeah. little bit, which I find interesting in my lifetime. But it, it, what's interesting is that a lot of young people think that speech can be is violent or it's harmful, and the best way to get rid of it, ideas they don't like, is to just simply censor it. Whereas, again, yeah. I come from the John John Stuart Mill, Thomas Jefferson, modern Supreme Court. By the way, I think all nine justices on the Supreme Court are with me on this today. The best thing you can do to a bad idea is give it an airing yeah. and then shed some light on it shine you know shine some facts on it use some evidence use some logic some rationality yeah. and so you know my students are a fascinating admixture of kind of liberal and illiberal tendencies and and the way that you deal with bad ideas to them is largely to simply shut down an idea that they that they don't like and and to me that's yeah. dangerous because you the greatest to me the secret sauce of a liberal society is not what we say but how we are allowed to say it, uh, and that's yeah. what creates progress. That that's singing the magical melody of America right there, um, and and it frustrates me when they when they don't see that sometimes.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm a date myself a little bit here, but I was in middle school when 9 11 happened, and when I look back You're at my baby. childhood, <laughs> I, I I was in middle school when when it happened. Um, actually, I was younger, um, elementary school, I guess technically. Um, When it, when I think back on my political opinions, I held some pretty bad opinions after 9-11. Opinions that today would fly in the face of basic conservatism. Like, oh yeah, they shouldn't, people shouldn't have rights. We need, we need safety, right? Government should be reading your emails and your letters, right? Uh, Things now that would never fly. But they were kind of commonplace after 9-11 because we had just been attacked and, and people had a feeling of vulnerability and people rushed to, OK, well, we need someone to keep us safe. It's going to be government. And of course, government ended up going way too far in that. When I see today, you talk about um, you were talking about how kids today want to censor speech. It's almost like they feel like they've had a 9-11, but they haven't. And it's almost like they've been convinced there's this 9-11 going on every day. Whether it's the white supremacists, whether it's the fascists, whatever ist or ism you want to add to it, they've been conditioned to believe that they have they have been victimized at such a level that it's just okay to violate someone else's f- basic rights to keep you safe. And you say that, that speech is now violence. The crazy thing is, uh, <laughs> the crazy thing is that they also say silence is violence. So you don't really know what you what are you supposed to do, but. Uh, how do you how do you convince someone? How do you convince someone not to? How do you convince someone that they haven't been victimized when well, they I mean, just believe the, it? Well,
1: well, what I try and do um, in my classroom is I, I try and talk about kind of the the intellectual journey that free men and women are allowed to have. And, and what I what I mean by that is you, know, you talked about really bad opinions you had when you were in junior high, which I think everybody has bad opinions in junior high, especially about mm-hmm. fashion and friends, but um, what I tell my students is, look, I'm I'm a 45-year-old man. My political opinions at 45 are pretty different than they were at 35, and I hope that when I'm 55, because I've read a lot more, I've had a lot more conversations, I've grown up, I've had experiences, that I will be even wiser than I am at 45, but that can't happen. That kind of intellectual and moral and political growth does not take place if you shut down points of view that you don't like when you're 18 years old. You know, and that's, you know, that's one, one of the things, I, the, the gotcha game of politics I hate the most is where you take a politician who's been around for a long time, and you say, well, 30 years ago or 20 years ago, okay. I've always thought that's not a weakness. That, that's a sign of, of growth, that you're willing to learn more and read more. And the, you know, everybody makes the joke that you know, every 18 year old feels like they know everything, let them run the world. But I but there is a kind of strident certitude sometimes in young people that they have a view of the country and of history that, that that previous generations just didn't quite understand. And if you understood what they understood, you wouldn't be so dang patriotic. You know, one of the things that I find so yeah. patronizing is this phrase, I don't know if you've heard this, Max, do the work. Do the work. It's like I do not need to be told to do the work from a lot of people who don't know a fraction of the history of the political science that, that I know. That kids yeah. are telling that to you? Kids are telling that No, no, no. No, no, no. But You see that like in, in, oh, in yeah, the broader yeah, culture. Yeah. Like, you know, you're yeah. told to do the work. And, and by the way, I mean, to a certain degree, I agree with that. I mean, like, we should always be doing the work, right? But to say do the work so that you can, of course, come around to my enlightened point of view is highly patronizing. Yeah. Um, we should constantly be doing the work, but not because uh, we're told what the destination is going to be.
0: Yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, again, we're talking with Jeremy Adams. His book, Hollowed Out, for sale starting today. Link for Amazon's in the description. You can also find it on Barnes and Noble. Um, Jeremy, we're we're almost out of time. But for any parents listening, um, f- we have a lot of parents who listen, and we have a lot of good parents who who do everything that they're supposed to do. They 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 read to their kids, right? They they're not helicopter parents, but they're involved. What is your recommendation to parents today beyond just make sure your kid isn't in the on the dark web, right? Um, beyond yeah. the basic stuff, what would you say to a parent today who who's hearing what we're talking about, scared, already is doing what they need to do? What would you tell them to do more to help make sure their kids don't get hollowed out?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, there were a few things really fast. I know we're out of time. Um, mm-hmm. I know that a lot of your your audience members probably already do this, but I do think that in the broader culture, that the adults have to start adulting again. We have got to put ourselves back into not just the physical space, but the moral space. You know, we didn't even have there's so much we could have talked about, Max. We didn't even talked about the kind of radical individualism uh, and, and the moral relativism that's really engulfed the, the the souls of young people. You know, we talked about why young people are so unhappy. I mean, if you believe that you inhabited a universe where there is no right, there is no wrong, there's only choices, uh, there is no ultimate meaning. There, the universe is not capable of sustaining your highest hopes. Joy is just an illusion. We're all you know consciousness is fake. I mean, we can go on and on. You'd be and pretty and, and there's to- a white
0: supremacist and there's a white supremacist around every corner.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so again, the, the adults have got to go back into the mm-hmm. spaces of young people to socialize them. The second thing I would say, is we have got to make sure that young people get the license before they get the car keys. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is young people always want freedom before they want wisdom. It is up to us, all of us, teachers, parents, pastors, siblings, friends, institutional leaders, people like yourself who who have a large audience, we have got to model how to use freedom for young people. Young people don't know how to use their freedom well. Every young person just wants to do what they wanna do, but they don't understand that ultimately, you know, happiness and joy is about using your freedom correctly, not just yeah. to indulge yourself. And, and two quick, really quick ones. Number two, sure. I think we've already covered this. But young people need to understand that you can be patriotic without declaring perfection. right? Your country does not have to be a perfect country today or in the past to be patriotic about it because your charge is to be a more perfect union. Not a perfect union. And finally, the last thing I would say is that we in the schools have got to stop being so therapeutic and go back to being academic. Uh, I, I have no problem giving meals to kids. I think we should. Uh, for many years, we said, look, if you're not getting meals at home, we'll do it at school. If you're not getting counseling at home, we'll do it at school. If you're not being clothed at home, we'll do it at school. And yet, for some reason, when it comes to high expectations, when it comes to behaving, when it comes to you know inculcating the habits and values that allow you to be educationally successful, we say, well, we need to understand if kids can't do that and won't do that. No, 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 no. You make kids feel secure so that they have a firm foundation to achieve. Anything else yeah. is setting them up for failure.
0: Well, I, I appreciate the time, Jeremy. Again, Jeremy Adams, author of the new book out today, Hollowed Out. I appreciate the time. I know you're doing this, this uh, kind of going out, pitching the book, but I'd love to have you on again. Um, just to we'll talk to about other on. things, because it's a fascinating topic, one that I don't think gets enough coverage, enough discussion, but it it needs to because these are, I don't want to say these are mistakes, but sure, these as we raise our kids, you don't get a do over, right? You don't. No. And these no, are, and I ha- we, we, and
1: I have, I have a lot of regrets <laughs> myself, yeah. a lot yeah, of regrets. Yeah. I wish I could go back. Yeah.
0: But in the story of America, you said it's this grand experiment. There's no guarantee we we win. There's no guarantee it succeeds. We're always on this razor's edge and raising a generation of apathetic little socialists. It's not a mistake that we get to make more than once, right? <laughs> so it's, it's very important, and I appreciate you coming on. Again, everyone, check out his book, Hollowed Out, available wherever books are sold. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so it. much.
1: It was an honor. Thank you so much. Hope to be on again. Thank you.
0: Thanks. So that was an interesting discussion. Um, I I like doing those discussions, taking a step back, talking about um, not necessarily what's in the news, but just important issues. Let me know if you like the interview. Um, Joe has a bunch of interviews lined up next week because I'm going to be out. Um, But I I, want to do more of those. Um, Kaylee says, ha ha ha, little socialist. No, it's true. It's a mistake we don't get to make more than once. We don't even get to make it once. So we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, Joe is primed. He's on the line, ready to talk about Dominion, Arizona, Maricopa County. I'm sure he's going to get a little in on Coomer. So you're going to want to stay tuned. Hit that share button if you haven't already. We'll be right back on the other side of this real quick break. Ronald Reagan famously said that our freedoms are never more than a generation away from extinction. Conservative Daily exists to make sure that never happens. With our community of 700,000 members, we fight every day to hold Congress's feet to the fire and stop them from surrendering our rights and freedoms. The fight to take this country back is not over. Please join our movement right now by going to conservative-daily.com and clicking the subscribe button to sign up for our free call-to-action newsletters. We have a chance to save this country, but only if we all work together. Again, this is conservative-daily.com, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button at the top.